podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that's making as many appearances these days as Ryan Jack makes at Hamden. This week on Heart and Hand, yet another Ryan Jack scandalous red card does not prevent Rangers humping the sheep. So welcome to Heart and Hand, the uh, Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar and I'm joined this week by uh, an all-star team. I'm very pleased with this one tonight. Um, first up, uh, safely back from Sheepland, um, where he was on Saturday night. So uh, uh, he's he's back, had all his jags and everything, is Andy McGowan. Hi, David. Glad to be back. No, uh, the civilization, mate. You know, it's, it must have been nice. As you, as you get closer, you kind of relax a bit, don't you? Yeah, you listen to the radio and it drifts on the tea, and then it drifts into the raw sound, and then you know you're really out, <laughs> out of the sticks. And uh, speaking of out in the sticks, uh, it's uh, the 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 one man civilization project in Livingston. Yes, it's Cami Bell. I'd I'd love to get radio tea. I'd love to get it. <laughs> what do you get out there? No idea. It's just a guy playing a banjo and another boy like in a like the, the Lydia uh, Lydia bin, and you've got that twenty four hours a day on repeat. It's just it's great. Do you mean? But that's that's a uh, East Coast life for you. It's the price you pay for being a missionary, Cameron. That's well. You know, you're, you're, you're yeah. T- you could say you could say it's a bit of a missionary. You're right. A uh, bit of a missionary position. <laughs> yeah, he's got back. Is he back? Or Aye, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, it's, 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 he's influenced from Saturday night at the live show that's, that's rubbing off on me. Right, loads to get into this week, so let's not uh, dick about because. For once, guys, not only could we do a positive pod the other night um, with, with me and Alex, we can have another positive pod tonight. And how often does this happen? Andy, uh, six points out of six, before we break down the game. Going into these two matches, I'll be honest, I didn't see us getting six points out of six from these. I'd have been pretty chuffed with four. So to get six and to get them so comprehensively, I felt uh, this team's taken a lot of uh, a lot of criticism, some from us, and I think all the criticism that they've had, to be honest, justified. But we owe them a wee bit of praise this week, eh? Certainly, certainly. I, I was a wee bit more optimistic after the Dundee game. I thought there, there had to be a reaction. Um, and I was I was quietly optimistic that we might get it at Ibrooks against Aberdeen, but if you'd said we'd be win both games and, and win them so uh, handsomely, then I would have probably said no. I'd I'd have taken a, a draw at Petodre. So to win both games and take a really uh, I'm not say salvage the season, but if we'd have lost them games or, or just won one or lost one, then it would have been a, a sore point for the rest of the season so I think to win both games has been a real boost to everybody including the players well, being totally honest Andy I, I agree with you I think if we go I, I would take your point further I think if we go 12 points behind them and yeah, 19 behind Celtic the season is the Scottish Cup effectively I mean yeah. it's, it's a hell of a gap at the, that stage and the run that we're on Cammy, the impressive thing I think about these two performances was the aggression in the in the display. They knew they were going to be physically challenged, and they 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 put out a message that no, you're not going to bully us. And even when we went down to ten, we were never out fought. No, we weren't. And um, I think uh, 
the clearest indication of that in the game on Sunday was uh, when Tavernier wins the ball for um, Windass's goal. Actually, he wins it and just shrugs the Aberdeen player off of him mm. uh, and then plays it forward to Kindea, so obviously puts in a, an excellent cross for, for Josh. Um, but it's great to be able to see that because uh, it's something, particularly in the old fun games, that we've been very culpable of as being... Um, very easy to intimidate and uh, looking quite weak and it's nice to see players actually standing up with a bit of authority and, uh, and standing their ground you know well, we'll go through the game as I say and break it down. First thing, uh, Rangers started, I thought, the better team. It was a very scrappy game in terms of entertainment and great football. There wasn't the, the the lovely passing moves that Rangers were putting together the other night, which is perhaps understandable. It's not as good a pitch, and Aberdeen were, I think, looking to make it a bit more of a battle. But, but Rangers stood up to it, were very comfortable defensively, and went into an early lead through a really fantastic header from Danny Wilkes, an absolute perler of a header. Um, a great ball in from Declan John, but to score from that, distance and loop it over a keeper who I believe is six foot six um, real kind of pinpoint uh, real kind of pinpoint effort there from him um, moving then into the second half Rangers we didn't really suffer that dip that perhaps we would have expected and we're looking pretty good on a lead Kenny Millers had an excellent uh, an excellent shot saved after a wonderful ball from Carlos Pena Rangers looking very dangerous on the break and Aberdeen not really offering much. Then Ryan Jack is sent off, which we'll come to in a bit more detail, uh, leaving us to play 10 men with 35 minutes. At that point, Rangers bring on Daniel Candias, as, as Cammy mentioned, for Carlos Peña. Candias is involved in the, the second goal and it really is a wonderful goal. There's a, a fantastic, if you go to uh, Dougie Wright on Twitter, he's got a great angle of it, where, as Cammy says, James Tavernier shrugs off an Aberdeen player to win the ball, knocks it to Candias, who uses his pace, puts in a beautiful ball. And Josh Windass, who's made a terrific curving run at full pelt, must be about 60 yards, and in that, an Aberdeen player has tried to kind of knock him off balance, and he shrugged him off as well, to arrive perfectly and put it away with confidence, Rangers go 2-0 up. At that point, I thought, we're home and hosed here, if we don't concede in the next few minutes and let them back in. So, of course, uh, Tav dived, dived into Tav, I think, had a bit of an acid flashback, because we got a repeat of what happened at the ground last season. Tav, well, that wasn't a foul, whereas this one was. Tav dives in... Um, Maybe he needs to be a bit cleverer in those situations. We'll talk about that. But uh, the the young kid, the Aberdeen, had brought on Ross, puts in a, a great free kick. I want to talk a wee bit about Wes on it, though. And uh, it's 2-1. And at that stage, you're thinking, hmm, here we go. But I don't really think, Andy, we were in ever any serious bother of not seeing that out. I mean, Aberdeen obviously are a, a side of dangerous from set pieces, but I didn't see them doing this through open play. No, I think we were comfortable throughout. I think, I think the first thing I see is that uh, it was fucking brilliant. It really was. To be enveloped by so much hatred and spite and to play them off apart, like, well, I say play them off apart, to be so comfortable as that and to score a goal with 10 men, it was sweet. It was really sweet. And I, I thought we controlled the game throughout. Uh, I thought the, the formation that uh, Murty hit upon on the Wednesday night. Uh, it worked really well. Um, I don't know if it worked every week. I've got to be honest, I think it worked against Aberdeen because they're a team that weren't going to sit in with 10 men behind the, behind the ball. So yeah, we're talking about Windass and it suited Windass to a tee because there was room in behind. It allowed the centre-halves to use their channels and as you perfectly picked out, David, 
he was doing his runs, his curved runs from from inside to out, and and they couldn't match it. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole thing worked like clockwork, and and on top of that, you got performances from nearly every single player in the park. Um, I, I thought that Windass was tremendous, right? I've been a critic, and I've said on here a couple of times, I, I don't see him at Rangers long term, and it probably wouldn't have been here if it'd been done to me, right? Mm-hmm. But he's turned a weak corner uh, the last three games, even in, in Dundee. He was taking responsibility, right? It wasn't as if he was playing his great, best game and the team was struggling. But he was taking the ball and he was trying to make things happen, which is the opposite of what I've, I've accused him of, which is hiding when the going gets hurt tough and, and not being uh, brave enough on the ball. Uh, but I thought we were brilliant. I thought Murty he made a great decision when Jack gets sent off because he immediately seen what was required. And if you want one guy to come off the bench in that situation, it's Gondias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you mentioned Tav winning the ball. It was Kandesi's, I don't know how far, 60-yard, 80-yard run from the goalkeeper back up the park to, to hassle the guy that gave Tav the the, um, the space to take the ball. So I thought the whole thing went with clockwork. Uh, and Young Bates, fantastic. Six months out and he came back and played like that. Um, I think that there's a, a couple of... A lot of Rangers supporters have seen, a, seen him in a different light now. And even Cardoso is worth a mention. He came on... Uh, for the first time since his bad, in, bad injury, a red hot game, and he, and he done his job for the full second half. So, no complaints for me whatsoever. It was brilliant. I I want to touch on this, and Carmel, I'll get your thoughts, and then Andy on yours. I felt, and I think we all did on on the various shows on here, and a lot of our, our punters felt that after the, the Dundee game, maybe Marty's interview was slightly coloured by the fact that he realised that the job had gone from him because I think you know. There was maybe at the back of his mind that had we won that, then won these two games, we could write off Hamilton as a blip, which it would have been. But I felt that in these two games, it's almost like freed of the shackles. He decided to manage and do things that he hadn't really done up to then. I think up to then he'd acted as a caretaker and he'd looked after the players and encouraged them, you know, they'd lost a bit of confidence. But his only really major decisions were Wilson and bringing back Kenny Miller. They were team decisions, they weren't really tactical. In these games, he's changed tactics. And then, as Andy, you mentioned, he has completely, you know, right on the button, he's went, no, I'm making the change there. He brought Pena back in. That He did things during the game. And Cammy, I hadn't seen that from him. I thought he had minded the shop, but it was almost like freed from the shackles of, I'm going for this job, that he he showed us something that I, I don't think he'd showed up to then. He'd showed, well, maybe at Parkhead, I suppose you could say. But... I saw a lot more, if you like, influence and input from him in these two matches than we'd seen in the four previous. It's it's tough to say because I, I think the thing is, and as, as you mentioned, David, in the uh, post-match uh, video on YouTube, yeah, yeah. that um, from the the decision process, that, that obviously we really acknowledge what Marty has done for us. Um, However, his decision process for me, I think, has evolved quite a bit in terms of moving away from just making outlandish decisions like bringing back Miller, starting him, giving him the captaincy, into then thinking more clearly around tactical decisions. And the other thing that's around that we've not mentioned is the use of McCrory as a defensive midfielder. 
which for me was a big a big decision as well. And McCrory has you know done excellently with it. Um, I think the the big thing for me on Sunday, just looking at that game on its own rather than the, the double header, is that there's a lot of aspects of that game which in previous games have went went against this. So some critical factors. Um, you touched on there was no um, start to the second half malaise that we've, we've seen previously where we've been a bit asleep at the wheel and we've been vulnerable to that. We got the post ending off we got the critical second goal which which had to happen um, and we also saw the game out and I think those three things combined what we've seen in other games where we've dropped points at least one of those things has happened and, and impacted against us whereas mm. actually in, on, on Sunday uh, you know we were able to, to, to move all, the, all those things out the window and I think Marty I mean Andy Andy's hit the point really well Murray took brave decisions and did the right thing by bringing on Kandias. There's a part of me that wonders as to whether or not he was already going to do that as part of around about the 60-minute mark anyway. But he stuck to it. And now he, he, he performs in such a way to me, Murray, that actually he, he, he has no real risk. There is no real um, impact because he knows he's not going to get the job. So he can, he can exercise that freedom in terms of his decision. The, the big thing for me when I'm thinking about that game and I actually think about Windass in particular and I can't get this statement out of my head Josh Windass is a weapon <laughs> and the I, reason as to why that statement is true in both senses um, is, and, and he, he encapsulated it perfectly on Sunday the dive right at the start which was really stupid and, and a bad dive if that makes sense yeah if you're going to dive be also, better but also what he's capable of achieving when he really puts his mind to it, and as we mentioned, the runs, etc. as well. And this is what's actually probably one of the most frustrating things about him, is that when you see the good that he can do, actually on his game, he, he's capable of getting you three points on his own. So he needs to be able to try and... Co- I, I think uh, hopefully Murray will have had the conversation with him about the dive, because that was stupid. I mean, it was a stupid thing to do anyway. Um, fortunately, it didn't dictate... Uh, the, the rest of the game for him at that stage anyway, still played with a bit of bravery. So. He, he did. No, uh, no and, I did very, very well. Andy, now in terms of the, the technical decisions, apart from or the tactical decisions, sorry, um, I mean, there have been some big ones. McCrory going in at centre, uh, going into the centre midfield, where if, if we can clang in a bit of a name drop here at the live show, Kevin Thompson raved about Ross McCrory, and one of the things he kept coming back to is if you have a guy who will do that, that will allow the other midfielders, and in this case Jason Hall and uh, uh, Ryan Jack while he was on, to go and confidently impose themselves on the game. And he felt that their performances in both matches had hugely benefited because of having Ross McCrory in there and having that confidence in him behind them. Uh, There's no doubt about it. Uh, Hall and Jack were superb over both games uh, and, and it's probably because they had McCrory behind them and McCrory this guy this boy could do anything he wants in football if he keeps progressing Absolutely. because he's got everything um, to, to come in at that age and a team that's it's under pressure underperforming and do what he's doing is, is fantastic and he wins the ball he uses his body um, to, to block players off and to win the ball cleanly he can head the ball he can he can pass the ball he can move the boy's feet 
uh, it's really um, testament to our, our youth development that this boy's now able to come in and play at this level kind of off the bat. Um, so you're right, David, Holt and Jack were released from doing the stuff that they're, they've not been doing the weeks before. They're maybe not great at it, yeah. I, I, I touched on it after the Hamilton game. I said, we're asking these players to do things that they're not capable of. And uh, I kind of liken Ryan Jack to saying, like, go and do what Barry Ferguson did. He didn't need to on Saturday, Sunday because all he needed to do was win the ball, keep it moving, and let the front three do their thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Crory provide, McCrory provided a foil for both of them to do that. I'm struggling now, Andy, to see what his best position is. And in a good way. Uh, I genuinely uh, wouldn't know. I'd, I'd be confident at, at playing him in either role at the moment. At the moment, I wouldn't be moving him out of there because I think the balance that we've found with those three, uh, you know, allowing for Ryan Jack if he's going to be there, but the balance that we've found with those three just looked so much better. And what an option in big matches. Uh, I mean, I, I said before, I don't think it's a good thing to play players of that kind of. Uh, age every week and I stand by that I think long term it's still best to, to bleed them and then take them out the fire line for a wee while but just now the way we are and, and with the players at disposal Dorn's injured and so forth you couldn't leave them out um, it would be crazy to do that and I think it would be, be wise just to let them feed off the confidence he's obviously got just now I've I seen him playing at right back for the youths as well more often than centre half to be honest mm-hmm. and he was perfectly comfortable there as well <laughs> and he, he can move up and down the wing so th- this is because the boy is a football player yes. first and foremost. He's not a set half midfield or whatever. He's just one of these boys that's athletic. He's got ability. He's technically sound, and he's a good all-round football player. Which y- you can't ask for anything more. The, the big benefit, I think, I think to us and more especially to McCrory was that 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 double header was against Aberdeen. And the confidence, I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I, I felt he actually played better in the first game because that was the first opportunity we got to see of him in that position. And I just thought he was absolutely tremendous. Um, and he just continued that form into the game on Sunday. However, because he's been able to play that double header, that is a brilliant platform for his confidence. And, and I don't think he lacks self-belief. I, I really genuinely don't. But it's a great platform for him to continue to build on because he's played, you know, against against a team until very recently, but above us in the league. I don't think he bothers. I think he's he's mentality. One of the things I really like about him is that he just plays his game and he doesn't play the occasion and he doesn't take into account the opposition. And given the mistake against Hamilton, which we've seen players shrink after such an error. Um, it, it's almost forgotten now and Rangers fans aren't the most forgiving but uh, as we've seen actually and I want to, to, to just move on to David Bates who I defended on here last season I thought the criticism of him was unfair and I know it's only one match but I think we saw what David Bates can do and again I think we have a tendency at Rangers sometimes to focus on what a guy can't do and what he's bad at David Bates is a good defender he's not going to be what I think McCrory's going to be uh, he's not going to be a world beater by any means but David Bates is a perfectly good young centre half and if we get behind him rather than just cast him out straight away after you know like 10-12 games and go ah he's shite he could actually develop into a really solid decent SPFL centre half for us one who does the job and we can rely on and given the, the, the struggles we've had in that position over the last six years 
I think we've got to give him a chance, Andy. Aye, I, I was of the same opinion. I think in my first pod, I said something about Bates and the fact that he'd been kind of dismissed because he's not particularly good on the ball and his passing's not too hot. But what he has got is he's got he's got the magic eye of a centre half that David Weir used to have and Richard Goff used to have. He's in the right place when the ball comes in the box. He makes blocks and he wins balls without having to go to ground. He's good in the air. He's 21 year old and he's built like a proverbial. <laughs> and that's because he's worked at his physique. That's not just happened by accident. That's why we are spotted him at Wraith Rovers. And I don't know if he saw himself in him or whatever, but at 21, playing at Wraith Rovers, to come to Rangers, in, in the, particularly in the season we had last year, and then come into that game as your, your first game back after six months, I don't think he's light as doing. He, he played against Celtic and we get stuffed, but who, who had a good game? No. This isn't the first time he's had a good game against Aberdeen. He'd done it last year and all when the... We actually lost at Ibrox. He had a great game, and I think he played at Pataudry when we won three nothing. I can't actually he remember. Did, yeah. no, he did. So he has played against uh, the kind of upper end of the league and and, and competed absolutely, and uh, to the point where I think uh, he gives us a very good selection headache because I like Cardoso, I like Bates, uh, I sometimes like Danny Wilson. I like the way he plays football, but defensively I don't know. So maybe there's a combination in there. Uh, when Alves isn't fit but no it was absolutely tremendous in, in Sunday I just don't think we have the playing resources at the moment to be casting away young players that could do us a turn um, I, I just don't believe we have the financial muscle to do that at the moment and I wonder if it's a hangover from uh, we're doing a show on the, the Patreon service called The Advocate years when you know, we, we bought players a lot all the time and if somebody didn't work out, we bought someone else. And I wonder for us older bears, because it is often the older bears who are more critical. And I wonder if it, it, it's a legacy of that that we were not a club that were born in, in terms of, or we were not a club that that um, born patience with young players. We tended to just want to buy an established players. But I, I just think Bates is is somebody worth persevering with. In the same way, I think Beerman's been been written off very very quickly. And for me, he's a better player than Lee Hodgson. Potential. I think he's got more ability than, say, Lee Hodson. Um, and he'd be a guy that I would be trying to rehabilitate. And it's maybe a, a bit of a, a shame that after six or seven games we're talking about rehabilitation, Cammy, of a, of a young player. Well, possibly. Um, obviously, we're not privy to you know what you see every day in training, etc. Um, I agree. I think Beerman, Beerman for me, has is, is, is kind of been put aside Maybe, I mean, he's been put aside very quickly. Uh, and, and I don't know if really we can say with any, any insider confidence that it's not, you know, it, it's been done too hastily or whatever else has happened. For me, what I would like to see is if we are going to look at potentially bleeding Bates into the team as a more regular player in the first team, is to try and get him as much exposure in uh, game time with uh, Alves next to him, because I believe. Alves can teach him, you know, better than anyone else that he, he can potentially partner with. Obviously, that depends on fitness and other criteria. Etc. Of course, it does. But um, Wilson, uh, Wilson's a bit of an enigma because though his header was fantastic, and he was good to take the lead of He was good while he was but on. He was, but as, as Andy points out, his defending has problems because he was also culpable for the Considine shot off the crossbar where he didn't mark him properly. Correct, yeah. So you always have that that kind of you know, seesaw approach in terms of um, what you can offer you and what you can bring up 
personally speaking, I, I would probably put Wilson back down the pecking order a little bit if we are in a selection headache. And if that's the case, then I would even put Wilson and Bates on equal footing for who we would replace Cardozo or Alves if neither one of them are fit. No, I'd, I'd agree with that. Now, um, before we go on to the refereeing, two stat-based um, issues that I wanted to chat about. Uh, the first one is that Carlos Peña, when he was on, created every chance Rangers had from open play. And someone compared them to a ninja. But he's just very quiet. You don't necessarily see what's going on and then he produces something. And again, it comes back to, we've spoken, all of us on this podcast, I don't honestly, I haven't heard a voice on this podcast dissent from this, but this is a guy that can do things that maybe the rest of the squad can't do. There's a lot of things that he can't do or doesn't do, but... He is maybe somebody that we've got to look at because I think we're all accepting, Andy, that Cranshire is not, or Cranshire, sorry, um, people pull me up my pronunciation. And very disappointing this week, I noticed a photograph of Nico and he was wearing super dry. And come on, Nico, you know, it's like you you, you, you can afford to, you know, you've, you've more money than that. But um, he's not going to be able to do that for us where we thought we could maybe have a luxury player, if you like, who would be the type of guy who could just do something special. And Nico, just for whatever reason, is not that guy. But maybe, maybe Carlos Pena is. Aye, uh, I, I think that the, the way to view Pena, because we've seen a wee bit of him now, we've, we've, we've got familiar with him, is not to think of him as a midfield player, but to think of him as a striker. Because that's what it is. Uh, he just starts his run for further back. That's basically what I can see. It, it didn't do much again uh, on Sunday or Wednesday, but when he did do something, it was pretty. It uh, mattered. Ah, it so mattered. He scored a goal on Wednesday, and then he also had a couple of neat passes and had a good shot. And then it was a, it was the same on Sunday. But it, it, it's not something you can maybe see on TV. But I watched him on Sunday. Just watch what he does when we get the ball. He's running and he's moving. He's always moving like a striker. Um, and the centre halves and the defenders they don't know where the hell he is no. and that causes confusion and it causes space for their players and that's why that's obviously been his stock and trade through his career with the looks of things and that's priceless mm. no every player has got the intelligence or the uh, game awareness or whatever you want to call it to do that during a game when they went all hell's breaking loose so I think we're going to have to get used to the fact that this guy isn't he going to put his foot in the ball and put away at run players? Uh, he maybe not even be able to do a five-year pass for a, a shot <laughs> throw in at times, right? But what he will do is, he is Ninja's a, a perfect a perfect description of him. He'll be the Johnny on the spot for us in the box uh, and it's another striker in the team. So that, this formation works for him, I think, because Josh Windass is doing the movement, dragging uh, defenders all over the place. They're having to chase him. That creates space. Creates space for Kenny Miller as well. But um, I think we need to persevere this guy. And I know he cost us a lot of money. But he cost us a lot of money by our standards, not a lot of money by football standards. Mm-hmm. That's a so, key point. Uh, it's perspective, isn't it? Yeah. Two million is a lot of money for Rangers, but two million is absolute buns. I mean, yeah. Doesn't buy you the finished article. For John Terrell, yeah. for God's sake. Does not buy so you the finished let's article. keep thing in perspective. I think we need to persevere. Well. I think he's got a role to play. I totally agree. Cammy, the other one is Josh Windass, that his stats are at elite level for the SPFL. 
in terms of movement, chance creation, runs, dribbles, all that kind of thing. They're at elite level. Now, it maybe doesn't look like that all the time, but from a coaching point of view, if you're looking at this lad and now he's starting to get in product on top of it, you would be excited. Well, you would, because... You know that thing that we used to do whenever you saw, it's like the highlight reel that whenever, you know, when we bought Gardner or got Wag on or whatever, and people are like, hey, let's go on YouTube and let's look at, that's the kind of stuff that you would see from Windass now, is, you know, what he's what he's producing at the moment. Um, I mean, I go back to David, it's frustrating because you're wondering where the hell this has been and also why is he chosen now? To produce it. Confidence or, it, you know, issues with it. Maybe, you know, we, we've all joked about Josh maybe not being the sharpest uh, peanut in the turd, but maybe a simplification or maybe having, because, you know, Pedro did, you know, did a great believer in tactical periodisation, which is a difficult thing to get your head round, even as a even as a player. And maybe just simplification of his role. Possibly. I mean, I think Murray deserves a bit of credit for not only the tactics that we've discussed, but a degree of man management because Windass looks very much like he's playing on a on a on a good wave of confidence. As really should do. And listen, those you know, stats are good for some things and not for others. Yeah. But the big thing with that is I, I would use that for him, but what I would say what I would say to him, I would use that to reinforce a conversation along the lines of when you dive and you pick up cautions, you put yourself in a tightrope for the rest of the game. But then you look and you score the winners. So that's how essential you are to us in this team. And it's it's quite bizarre because now, for the first time for a very long time, we're now talking again about um, selection headaches because fully fit team, where would you play them? Because <laughs> you can play them up front and then you saw, again, coming back to that um, that dive, that, that challenge comes out from a good ball over, a great run from him, by the way, a great run mm. where he just brings the defender with him. A slightly better touch, he creates that opportunity. And again, with the confidence that he has, he sticks it away. Same thing as well with, the, with his goal. He's making that run from absolutely nowhere that you can see, but he just he just brings it straight into the box and timed it to perfection. The finish was fantastic. And you can see he's got that capability. You, you want to be able to see it from him, but you know it, it's a great asset to have. And what's interesting is, and, and particularly regarding the the, the, the pen conversation. See if I was a, an opposing manager, I wouldn't really know how to mark these guys. No, that's like, I think I, do, I think Andy hit the nail on the head there. I think that the the bother we've given Aberdeen is they haven't had a clue where these guys are supposed well, yeah, to exactly. So, supposed so to be. The the good thing with that is, and, and obviously it's probably more prevalent to, to when we play Celtic. But what do you do at that stage? Do you, do you assign a man to mark them? So so if you do, that's fantastic because that starts freeing up other options. Um, because I, I wouldn't know where Pena's playing for one minute to the next. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. he he he. he, he he has that kind of enigmatic approach where he he does what he wants. He wants to be able to try and do certain things. It's just that real kind of um, dilemma, mystery. Yeah. What he's going to do? What he's going to do? No, absolutely. Andy, for me, I've seen far more from Josh Windass up front than I have from him on the wing. And for me, I think he plays the Kenny Miller role probably better than Kenny does at the moment. And I, I would be excited by by with him off Morelos. Yeah, I think. I mean, we're talking about him going terms, which if you said this to me three weeks ago, I'd have said, nah, this isn't going to happen. But he's he's turned a corner here, and we're talking about stats, and stats are great, and I don't mean that facetiously. They are great because they, they give you insight, but what stats don't give you are the intangibles, like desire, heart. That's the end goal. 
was desire. Yes, it was. And I don't know if that was there for him a wee while ago. And I do think that playing against Aberdeen and the fact that they'll play a wee bit higher up the park than most teams in the league suited him because he could use his, he could get in behind. And uh, that's no easy for players that like getting in behind playing for Rangers because not a lot of teams will actually afford them that space to do that. So that's why I'm not too sure whether this formation will uh, translate into every game for no one kind of thing. Mm. But he's, he's, he's got ability. Everybody's in terms he's got ability. They've been telling us how good he is in training. And, and we've seen flashes, but I think it's been the things that have that turned off normal football supporters. Lack of heart, lack of desire. I can I, I sense a disinterest. Going, when the going gets tough, disappearing, that kind of stuff. The last three games, he didn't, he's not had that. He's been the opposite. And if he keeps that going, the guy has got. Um, he's going to win his over. Put it that way. Yeah, and uh, the thing, the thing I would say, just true. before we go into onto the referee, David, is, is Andy's point there is talking about desire. Obviously, I, I watched the game on on TV on Sunday, and there was points where I was getting really concerned that he was going to pick up a second yellow for descent because he he was really getting in about it with refereeing decisions and everything, and he was really. You know, fighting the corner for some of the boys in terms of some of the decisions that were getting given against them, and you know, as much as we like to kind of bash Windass, and you know, we're now we're giving him a lot of praise, which he absolutely deserves. One other thing that he deserves a lot of praise for is he's getting a bit of fighting amongst them now, and he's actually putting a bit of kind of grit out there. And beforehand, I think he was potentially guilty of shirking a little bit when it wasn't going his way. Now he's he's going out there and he's he's standing up with the chest out. And it's noticeable, as you say, but um, I'm glad you're here, Cammy, and, and a nice seg on to referees because Cammy is a qualified referee, for those of you who don't know. And uh, now, on this show, believe it or not, I genuinely do take pride in the fact that we try to analyse everything neutrally and we, we do try to present both sides of an argument because, you know, yes, we're, we're obviously a very partisan Rangers podcast, but at the same time, I think, over the years, we've proven that if if you know Rangers players deserve criticism, we'll give it. Um, equally, we, we you know we, if a decision hasn't gone our way, then we we try very much to to be neutral about it. And this one has kind of split opinion, even in the Jersey community. I'd say I've probably seen eighty twenty, but there's still that twenty, which is still a significant amount. Um, you'll all have seen the tackle by now. Uh, well, the tackle even, am I calling it right? Basically, Ryan Jack is going in for a ball with Stevie May and he thinks it's going to be a thud and blunder. And my, this is my take on it, and I'm interested to hear you, lad. And he thinks it's going to be a real thud and blunder tackle. He thinks it's going to be a 50-50. Stevie May, the Aberdeen player, pulls out. And if you want to, to be derogatory, he shakes it. And that sort of makes it a 90-10. But by that stage, to me, Ryan Jack is committed now he goes in to play the ball with the side of his foot and on his follow through catches him. To me, Andy, short of him being in the matrix and then stopping, leaping up as times, but it's spinning round and placing his foot on the ground. I don't see how he gets out of that. Against that, a lot of ex-players have said, no, he can and he's done him. So wait, you know, and, and, and not all ex-players that I, that I just assume are kind of hearts and certain... Uh, you know, guys who are professional malcontents and like to stir up controversy. A lot of sensible ex-players said, no, he could get out of that. I didn't think he could. I still don't think he could. I still think that if Stevie May goes in for it with him, that nobody gets hurt. It's the thing, the old schoolboy cliche, you're taught 
if you shite out a tackle, there's more chance of getting hurt. To me, that was what happened. But I, I'm willing to hear opposing views if, if either of you have them. First up, Andy. Well, you're right. This has been uh, a split because I've been arguing with, with good good bears this week that I respect. And I'm going to tell you, I think it was a red card. I, I really do. At, at the time of the game, I couldn't tell because I didn't really see what happened. It happened so fast. And uh, I was doing a bounce at the time and all that didn't help. But <laughs> what happened there was that Colm reacted so fast, I knew it must have been something. And uh, the reason I think it's a red card, right, is I take on board everything you've just said, David, because you're correct. He was going in for a full bloody challenge. Um, May shatter, and there was no uh, there was no pulling back for Jack. However, I think it was reckless. I think that um, in that split, split second that that kind of tackle happens, uh, it's very, very hard to pull out. But at the same time, um, the follow-through was threatening injury right now. Cammy, you're a ref, you'll be able to tell me better than me, but I think dangerous play, uh, it's not just about winning the ball anymore. Winning the ball isn't the measure of whether it's a foul or not nowadays. It's whether it's dangerous play, overly excessive force, all this kind of stuff. So, I think in defence of Willie Collum, right? So, imagine... Those words coming out my mouth. Yeah, I'm can't, surprised. Can't he them. In defence, I will call him. He's going to see the guy's leg buckling, and he's going to think that's a broken leg. But that's and my that's point, though, so, Andy. I think so that he doesn't that. give him time. I, I think he doesn't give himself time to react. I think he belts in, and and part of uh, that I think is Willie Collum heavily criticised for his performance Wednesday night. He was jumpy. He was jumpy the whole game. He was whistling for everything. There was the the kind of laughable incident when you saw him all kind of chest out saying, "I am the referee" to a player on camera. Uh, I, I felt that that influenced his, and I think he hasn't re, he hasn't sent him off for the challenge. He sent him off because he saw the leg buckle. I think he sent him off for the aftermath, not for the incident. But I do take your point, and Cammy, you're the referee. What, what say you? Before we go into the mechanism of the tackle, the most disgraceful thing about that entire episode was that it made me agree with Andy Walker, which is unacceptable in any circumstance. For me, it's not a red card. And... The, the, the law that Andy is talking about <clears throat> in terms of serious foul play is immediate dismissal. Um, if, if you look at it again, now, listen, where I won't criticise Colm is his positioning. Now, we, we the last time I was on the pod, when uh, we had the handball outside the box, I criticised, I think it was Craig Thompson, I criticised his positioning. Colm was right on the spot, so you could see it. So, let, let's not, you know, pull any punches. It's it's a bad challenge, okay? The reason for me as to why I don't believe that there was intent behind it, because if you watch it with the replay, which again, Colin doesn't have the benefit of, however, if you're watching the replay as well, there is no adjustment in Ryan Jack's foot, leg, ankle, whatever, once the ball has been played. If it was the case that Jack comes in, takes the ball, then makes a minor adjustment so he knows that he can hit May, that is a tackle that the three of us have seen time and time again because you know I'm going to leave a bit on him here. Yeah. And that's what you can tell as a player there. I can understand both sides of the argument because, again, in real time, at full pace, you know, you've got to make a decision there and we have a problem with the fact that Colm is card-happy and was choking to do something to make him 
uh, you know, uh, in the spotlight, and Ryan Jack handed him that opportunity to play. And it's not the first time where Ryan Jack's been guilty of being stupid, and that's what it was. It was stupid. The the other side to this as well is that Jack just continues on with the game, but he knows how hard he's hit him. What he should have been doing at that point is probably putting his hands up and saying, "Look, you know, I, I played the ball there." I went through them, but you know that was not my intent. He doesn't do any of that. He just cracks on with it, and again, that looks bad from his perspective. But as we've already highlighted, Colin by this stage is often fucking running. Can he wait to get it? And then with the melee that ensues after that, and then obviously the Pena substitution and all the rest that's pushing and shoving and everything going around, Colin's just dying to try and assert his authority on it. What is interesting is that if you watch the game again towards the latter part of it. There's actually a not dissimilar 50-50 with Tavernier, um, just at the kind of right corner, about right corner, where he kind of clears the ball and the ball hits off. But what happens is Aberdeen player, and I forget his name, I can't remember. He puts it. his foot in front of, yeah, I know the one you mean. And, puts and his foot in front of him, but you hear him, him scream. If you listen to it, in the, in the, if you listen to it, you can actually hear the audio of him screaming. Yeah, it's man, you ringtone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but the thing is, though, if, again, if you watch it in slow motion, the ball goes straight up in the air, Tavernier's looking for it, it bounces, it's still in play, so he plays on with it. Referee didn't stop that one. So, and, and again, like you say, you could hear the boy screaming with it, but that's just a 50-50, do you know what I mean? If you win the ball first, likely as not, you're going to end up hitting the guy. Mm-hmm. That's just what happens. So, again, it, it's a bad challenge. I definitely think it was a yellow, definitely think it was a yellow. But, had that been other way around, we'd all have been why, red. Why, why, why is that a yellow, Cammy? So we'll call it. So for that one, it's 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 probably an infringement because he's he's hit him. Uh, but the question for me then at that stage, Andy, is there an intent? Now I don't believe that there's enough movement in his leg after hitting the ball that no, suggests that he's went out to him. So that so again, if you watch it, his foot, none of his none of his leg that hits the ball moves in any in any capacity. It's just a natural motion getting into, it. and because May is late coming in for the challenge, either because of hesitation or just because he was a yard off the pace. That's it. But again, watch the whole scenario again, and you'll actually see the other Aberdeen midfielder gesturing, uh, gest- uh, gesticulating to me to come forward and actually put that challenge in. Because May had to wait for that prompt before he came into it. So he was late to the party. I don't think Jack has done it deliberately, is my, is my point within that. So if I was refereeing that scenario, the intent would be what I was looking at. Um, and again, Jack hasn't done himself any favours by not trying to protest his innocence. He's not turned around and went, look, you know, I've clattered and I'm sorry or whatever. He's just carried on with it. And that's maybe a maturity thing that he needs to think about that gamesmanship a wee bit more. Andy? Um, whenever I ever listened to a referee, you know what I mean? <laughs> Fair dude, no end. That, that, that's a quite a, a kind of technical breakdown of it. It's happened a split second and I, I, I don't think it was intent either, Cam. I think you're right there. I don't think he meant it, but what he did mean he did is go and win the ball and win the ball so hard that there was no doubt he was going to come out of that. And Affected I mean, by the crowd, maybe? He'd had a lot of, he'd had a lot of uh, you know, he was playing really well, it was a shame, but he had a lot of noise from the sheep maybe got to him a little. Well, he was strolling the game. He was, he was immaculate that whole game. They couldn't get near him. And and that, what happened just before it was there was a wee infringement with the ball boy, the wee yes, guy that's right, the ball aye, back. That's and, right. 
you could see him smirk his arm right in front of us and you're thinking, great, he's got them in toast here. And then he goes and does that. There's no real need for it. And he could have cost us a game. So forgetting about the red card for a second, I think Ryan Jack needs to... He needs to learn how to play with his edge because his edge is good and he had that edge on Sunday but he needs to stop making an arse when we're going over the score because Hibs, he could have avoided that, right? Hibs game, cost us a game basically by getting involved. Kilmarnock, you could argue that he should have walked away for that as well. Hamilton was fair dues and then on, on, on Sunday it could have been avoided so he can't, can't keep doing this. Well, what I would say though the, the, is... The thing, the thing for me in that as well is though that when you're watching that game, and listen, Andy's totally right, he was strolling it. See if there was a number of bad tackles consecutively, or he was putting it about a bit or whatever, mm-hmm. and he just thought, fucking brilliant, I'm going to snap him, I'm going to go for it. That that almost makes the referee's decision for him, because yeah. that, that you know he knows that he's going to do it, and all it takes is just a slight mistiming, boom, and he's got him. And he never put a tackle in like that once, but even when he was walking off the park... And he's he's given a bit of mouth back to the supporters and all that. He's absolutely fallen for that trap, and that for me is is actually quite inexperienced. It's not. But, it's not but for Cammy, me something I'd like to see for a guy who's been a captain. But Cammy, this is a guy who was sent off two times in six years at Aberdeen. He's been sent off four times in four months at Rangers, two of which have been rescinded. He. Uh, Possibly feels, and I think with some justification, that he's been now because of all this furore, he's been refereed to a different standard to everyone else. I don't agree with that because I, I, I don't believe that referees are going out purposely looking to target no, but, Ryan Jack. No, but there is a but subconscious when, influence when, when, when that they does, think this is a dirty things, player. Which is fine, but then when he does the things that he does, though, Davy, again, he's removing the referee's decision for him because what he's then what he's then doing is you know if he's if he's squaring up. Or he's doing in with cut up broadfoot. If he's doing in like that as well, when he's when you know the referee's two two yards away from him in the Hibs game, and then again in that tackle was in there. Now I'm not saying that he should have shot out the tackle because that would be hypocritical. Because may shot out the tackle and that's why he get damaged. What I do think, however, is that if he knows that he's hit him, the responsible thing to do at that point is I've I've clattered him. I've not meant it, but you know, and then start protesting your innocence. Right. What it looks like if you just walk away from that scenario is I have fucking meant it. Fair well, point. there's a point there because when he was coming off the park, he could have shoved a fake moustache on him. It could have been Sunus all over again, fake six. Hundred percent. Yeah. It was the same, same attitude, the same kind of uh, fuck you look about him. Mm. And uh, it's good to have that in your play, that edge, as I say. But um, if he, if he feels hard done here, then you could argue, right? You had beaten in Hibs, right? I would have felt hard done if that was me. You've got the fourth official coming on the park versus Kamal to make sure the guy gets sent off for the unprecedented circumstances. I'd have felt hard done by that. I don't know if you can feel hard done in, in uh, Sunday just because of the, the the way it looked. And the the acid test for me is if it was the other way about and it was a blue a red shirt or a blue shirt. I don't think we'd be sitting here being so forgiven. Well, possibly not And I, I do wonder though If Aberdeen fans Will make up an amusing Little song about Stevie May lying crumpled In the tough Because they seem to like That kind of thing In lieu of having Achieved anything worth Singing about In the last 30 years But we'll, we'll move on um, You know, more debate I think will come on that uh, Especially with the appeal the, the, That we'll see what, what comes of it But we've got a lot To get through even through Even still And uh Next up is of course The uh, now becoming uh, Every show topic Of Derek McInnes 
and lots and lots of rumours swirling at the AGM, lots and lots of talk that the, the appointment will be this week. In fact, we delayed our show from last night to tonight because, you know, the, the very strong word was that the announcement would be today. Um, hasn't happened yet. And we're told, and certainly I'm led to believe, that he's still very much the forerunner, uh, the, 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 the forefront, rather, and that we're going to get uh, this announcement in the next few days. However, his post-match interview, uh, he uh, took what appeared to be, you know, you can interpret it the way you want, but I think he, he was, when he said he was unhappy at the way it had been handled, uh, I took as a as a dig at the, the Rangers board, and an understandable one. Um, you know, we've discussed the, the whys and the where of him, so I don't want to get into that again just now, and we'll talk about more when he arrives. But Andy, his reaction on Sunday, understandable? Or maybe should he have kept his counsel? Or was it just a guy post-match, emotion high, and he was fizzing? Uh, McInnes doesn't take any shit really I think you see that through every press conference and every post-match interview does that he's quite a strong character and I, I was just like everybody else that's seen the interview you're looking into it looking for signals to what he's thinking and what he's, uh, what's happening in the background I took it to be a dig at everybody I, I, I took it to be a dig at his chairman as well yeah I thought that too yeah, he did, he did he, pointedly he, he mention him he said at one point David he said something like uh, the club Sorry, the chairman wanted to make it yeah, clear. Yeah, very pointedly pulled so, Mill into it. I think he's just getting pissed off the situation, and I think that's fair enough. But he's waiting for the Rangers job. It's not a job that it spar. He's, he's waiting for the biggest job of his life. Um, he'll just need to wait. Yeah, unfortunately. It is. Cammy, what are the board doing, though? If this is their guy, you know, come on. It's time. It is, but... I, I don't think that board's uh, negotiating uh, skills are, are, are up to scratch. There's some ridiculous comment by uh, Milne today that you know that it'll cost 800 grand to talk to McInnes, and if the deal falls through, they'll pay him the, the they'll pay the 800 grand back. Well, that's not happening. If, of course, it's not. But the thing is, if that's if that's who you're dealing with. Someone needs to put on the big boy pants and just say, look, let's get this ironed out. You have to accept that uh, there will be a bit of public posturing from the sheep because of who they are and their their audience. But that public but that but that public posturing <laughs> because of what I can only really describe as this amateur hour that we're taking now through this process doesn't need to happen because we're already told the AGM that, you know, it'll be a British it's like fucking guess who? It's like mm. a British based manager already in a job, they'll get a three year contract. If I was McInnes, I'd be like, see, every single day that you're going to make this weight, I'll just add another 10 grand onto my, my salary. Mm. It's, 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 I, I don't know as to why we can't just put this together now. No, it's excruciating. What, what, what is this going to cost? Yeah, it's embarrassing. It's, it's excruciating. I mean, uh, there was some talk that the, the board had set the deadline of December the 6th. Um, which is obviously tomorrow as we record or maybe the, the, the day as most of you listen to this. But... Um, it, it, <laughs> yeah, I laughed and I didn't think that was the case, but maybe, maybe, maybe it is. You know, well, 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 all right, okay. Well, firstly, I would question where that timescale comes from because it's totally redundant. However, it's I would, not redundant I would, if that's when he's appointed. Well, not. Or oh, it was a very well, lucky well, guess then, well, Cami, because well, guys have been well, saying well, it for two or three what weeks. Do we do? Do you just throw that at a calendar, say, yeah, let's just announce it on Wednesday. If, if the deal was there <laughs> to be done, well, we did that when we hired the last manager. Well, true, but what's to stop this happening Monday? 
or Tuesday. There's no the time scale to this for me is, is pretty much irrelevant. And what I can only hope for is Graham Murray is just put all of this out of his head and just concentrate and get the players through training and prepare them for Ross County. Well, it's, um, that's a lot. I, I, I put up, I mean, ask, I, I'm I maybe voicing a bit of a kind of a minority opinion here. I would really like Graham Murray, even if we sign McInnes or whoever within the next 24 to 72 hours to to take the team on Saturday. Because I would really like Murray to be the guy that breaks the three-game hoodoo, which we absolutely should do at home to Ross County. You know, should do, but we've been that, in this, that, the that ship being, before. Yeah, that being said, but you know, fucking we're not at Christmas miracles just yet. Whatever the sticking point here is, work around it. We don't know if it's money. We don't know if it's Dockery. Milne will chip in with his own wee bits and bobs. Fix the problem. Cammy, you've just led us on to something that I want to talk about and I want to get both your takes on this. Now, you you may have seen the, the, the popular internet meme that said, me, also me. And when it comes to, to Tony Doherty, me, if Derek McInnes wants him, then he should bring his own team. If it's him and it's Gordon Marshall, then that's okay. I'll put aside that one's a Celtic fan and one's an ex-Celtic player and I'll back them. Also me. For fuck's sake, he's called Anthony. Andy? <laughs> well, I'm all for diversity, you know me. So, uh... There's diversity. Oh, no, no. <laughs> and then there's diversity. You know, I, I get it, I get it, I do get it, but I'm also... I've never heard them before. Two weeks ago, I can tell you, Aberdeen's assistant manager was three weeks ago, right? And all you've got to say is that if he's Derek McInnes' his right hand man, then the Derek McInnes should keep better company. <laughs> that's the also me again. The real me no, agrees with you, but it's it's If that's his team and that's his backroom staff, then. It's a weak manager that turns around and says, ah, by the way, I'm going myself. I don't think there's many managers would do that. So, uh, who, who knows? It could be the team that makes makes the magic work at Aberdeen for the past four seasons. So, if the guy's a Celtic fan, well, does this sit well with me? I've, I've said that before. I don't want, I didn't want Moyes. I didn't want Alec Neal, that kind of thing. Uh, it's just a football thing. I don't want people coming from a, that kind of background and... Working for Rangers at such a high level, because you're always questioning what what is their true feelings, right? And he'll uh, come if, if McInnes comes, Docker, it's coming. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No, I don't the condition in, the condition in that scenario should be, and let's let's be totally sensible now, right? Let's be adults. That if Docker comes, and we don't beat Celtic in the first game we play them, sack him. Yeah, that seems clearly. Fair. He's clearly working. He's clearly working. He's clearly working for them. I think you know. I'm sure that the, our, our army of Tim listeners will be going right now. Ah, bigotry and trying to find out who they can complain to. But the issue here is not the his religion. Uh, he might probably isn't religious like most Absolutely people in, in Scotland these days. Uh, it's the fact that he's a Celtic supporter, a died now Celtic supporter, and that annoys as much as it would annoy them if they hired somebody who was known as a Rangers supporter so it, it's to do with that and 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 I know I need to be bigger and all the rest of it but I'm not and as you say Andy you know I'm from Cowan and I live here now again and you know if, if we no get anybody there's nobody out there who comes from the correct stock that's all I'm saying Scottish football so incestuous that you're either one or the other whether you are or no that's the thing and I think we've had um, 
people from a Rangers background play for Celtic and be very, very successful. And we've had people come from Celtic backgrounds and be very, very successful for Rangers. It actually doesn't mean much in the in the professional game. And I think we need to differentiate between what professionals think and do and what supporters think and do because it's two totally different things. Hard you have to remember that as well is that even Meghan Markle is going to get baptised. So we can always make changes if he comes. That's a fair point. So let's... What? On yeah, the, on the, the centre circle, you know, in the centre circle at Ibrox, and Tony kind of says, "Look, lads, hold my hands up." And uh, is Pastor Jack Glass still kicking about? He can do it. Um, just before we go, Andy, we we got a request for this, so I do want to to do this. As somebody asked you if if I could get you to take us through the implications <laughs> of Resolution Eleven finally passing at the AGM last week and what that might mean for the club going forward so if you just want to explain first of all what Resolution uh, Resolution 11 was and the implications that you feel it will have going forward for the club Yeah, so, so there was Resolution 10 which was basically just straightforward permission to have a share issue so that was granted and then Resolution 11 piggybacked on the back of that where it, it basically allowed the board to allocate shares to, um, to targeted shareholders or creditors so that's the guys that have put in soft loans, King, Parking and so on. Rather than get their money back, they'll get that converted into shares. So it may not happen all at once, but over a period of time it will happen. Um, I think there's something like £16 million on the books for, for these kind of soft loans, if you want to call them that, and, and about six and a half, seven or something like that was coming from, from King's uh, trust. So it dilutes the shareholding for other people so that's good news for us in terms of diluting people at the ease deals and so forth but um, a key thing I would probably point out is that Club 1872 it looks as if they're going to get an opportunity to participate and maintain their shareholding and regardless of what you think about Club 1872 the long term implications for the club uh, Club 1872 need to be part of it because all the shit we've been through for the past five, six, seven years and all the uh, catcalling and ridicule, there's, down the line, other clubs, supporters are going to wise up to the fact that we came out of that with an absolute bona fide vehicle for supporter representation and investment. And that's not something that just happens overnight or can be replicated in a, on a whim. So that is the one thing that's came out and the fact that the Resolution 11 allows Club 1872 to participate is the biggest thing that I would take for it, apart from the fact that it's obviously an avenue for, for increasing uh, investment in the club and the playing squad and so forth going forward. In simple terms, do you feel that this is a, a thing that's been holding us back? I, I don't think the board were that bothered about it last year because there was no tremendous urgency and I don't think there was ever going to be a splurge, David, because I don't think there were ever going to be a case of here's 20 million good and rebuild the squad and fix the stadium. It was always going to be a slow burn and I could bore you to death with the, the, my kind of view on the figures and turnover. At its simplest, we need to get our turnover back up to where we were before we went tits up and that means going back up to a turnover around about £50 million and then for that you get a wage bill for the first team squad about 15 to £20 million. That's the simple economics of it and that means you can compete with Celtic. Um, so it's not going to happen overnight, but it's slowly but surely. The last books that came out there, uh, the, the turnover was up to about just short of 30 million, I think. Um, so we're slowly but surely climbing that, that way back up. Um, I don't think football supporters should need to bother a shot with this, but we've been forced in a situation now where you need to pay more attention than most to what's going on in the club. Mm. Um, but I, I think it's a good thing. The Resolution 11, regardless of what you think of King and everybody else, 
it's got anything that is a, a gateway to uh, investment to the club or making up shortfalls or uh, 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 accelerating uh, the return to the top is going to be a good thing. I'm correct in saying, Andy Amina, that what it also does is it stops the potential for any investor to withdraw cash rather than demand shares because if we're doing a conversion, it means that they are willingly changing it to that investment. Is that right? Uh, the, the top loans are turning... It's in lieu of cash. They're getting instead of getting their money back. It's going to shares. So that was always a plan, and that's why it was never ever a. Although their loans on paper, they were never ever going to be withdrawing paid back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, um, listen. That's uh, thank you very much. I've packed a lot into that uh, into that hour. If you enjoy this show, uh, you may know that we've been talking about it for a few weeks. We've launched a subscription service, which is not easy for me to say on Patreon and you go to patreon.com forward slash heart and hand where you'll find it now we've been talking for weeks that it was going to be December the 6th we did have an arbitrary date in mind for it um, but we launched it a week early because people were asking us and we've had 1100 people sign up so there's a community started there already there's, there's lots of shows have gone up and our first official extra show starts tomorrow even though that we've had daily updates and, and podcasts and highlights from the Kevin Thompson live show are, are on there if you want to go and sign up there are two options $1.99 per month or $3.99 per month you get more stuff for the second tier obviously but the the, the key thing about that in case people are going why is it in dollars it's to make it cheaper because they take tax as well so it still comes under £1.99 I think it was at £1.74 and it still comes under £3.99 what's it obviously at £3.58 so that's why I decided to do it in dollars rather than pounds so patreon.com forward slash heart and hand go sign up and you can still download the pods to your favourite podcast place uh, all the extra content you can do that there but as I say the community has been so much fun this week just people chatting away all bears and we've we've had a really good time there and I'm very much enjoying it you'll also get these pods the main pods although they are free and will always be so you get them first on there they go up first even before they go on to Acast um, if you just want to continue with the free pods that's cool a good way to do it is with our app just go to the app store heart and hand uh, search for it and you'll get our app it's free and you can get it's the best way to, to get all our, our apps and also extra content if you want to get in touch with us to demand well I'm on Patreon all the time that's the best way so go and sign up come talk to me but uh, if you want to get in touch with us through social media, I am at Ibrox Rocks uh, on Twitter. Andy is Bob McPhail at Bob McPhail, and Cammy is at Beat That Beat. Uh, I'm all, we're also Heart and Hand on Facebook. Just search for us, Heart and Hand, on the Facebook page. Um, that's pretty much everything from me this week. All that remains for me to do is to thank our executive producer in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Myers. Thank my guests tonight for a really good pod. Uh, quite, a, quite a spiky one, but one I enjoyed. Uh, first of all, thank Andy McGowan. My pleasure, David. Thank Cameron Bell. Great to talk to you, boys. And thank you all for listening. Come see us in the Patreon site if you've uh, if you've enjoyed it. And I'll talk to you all again on Thursday in the main pod. Cheers. Bye. Podcast Network.